DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's Word and apply His message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Today, we're going to talk about the apostolic call. What are the four marks of the Catholic Church? We say them in the Nicene Creed every Sunday at Mass when we say, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. One holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Today, friends, we're going to zoom in on what it means to be an apostolic church, a church founded on the teaching of the apostles, the apostles who Jesus Christ promised to be with until the end of the age, the apostles that he gave direct authority to, to lead and guide this church upon his ascension back to the Father. The same apostles who were filled with the power of the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, and they were emblazoned with courage to go forward as selfless witnesses and recapitulate the life of Christ on earth in every way possible, including even death, like Jesus himself, except for John, who died a natural death, the other, and, and Judas, who hung himself. All the other apostles were martyred. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church states at number 857 that the Church is apostolic because she is founded on the apostles in three ways. Listen to these three ways. Number one, she was and remains built on the foundation of the apostles, the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself. Number two, She's apostolic, the church, because with the help of the Spirit dwelling in her, the church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit, the salutary words that she heard from the apostles. And number three, the church is apostolic because she continues to be taught, sanctified, and guided by the apostles until Christ return through their successors in pastoral offices, the College of Bishops assisted by priests in union with the successor of Peter, the church's supreme pastor. The catechism goes on to say, you are the eternal shepherd who never leaves his flock untended. Through the apostles, you watch over us and protect us always. You made them shepherds of the flock to share in the work of your son. So the church is apostolic. And you'll remember in Acts of the Apostles in chapter 1 that there was a vacancy of the 12th apostle, the 12th apostolic seat to fill. Judas had hung himself in despair. Could they have gone forward with only 11 apostles? 
The answer to that is no, because 12, 12 is the number of governance in the scriptures. God set forth 12 months to rule over one year, and in creation, he established 12 hours to rule over the day and 12 hours to rule over the night. The 12 tribes of Israel were the 12 sons of Jacob, and Israel will be restored and resurrected into a new Israel through the 12 new apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Judas must be replaced so that the apostles, using the priestly acts of the Old Testament, could go forward as a new constituted 12 tribes of Israel. So drawing lots, they elect this new apostle. Listen now to the criteria of apostleship as recorded in Acts chapter 1. After the ascension, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barasabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And so it was. The priestly lot was cast by the new priest, the apostles, and by the decision of God, the lot fell to Matthias, and he replaced Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle. These twelve restored tribes of Israel would be the first governing body of the new Israel, the Catholic Church. Matthias has been with them from the beginning at the baptism of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah, until the day of the ascension when Jesus Christ was taken up to the Father's right hand. 
He was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus had told his apostles in Matthew chapter 19, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Matthias is now numbered with that twelve. Let's go now to the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series on the Apostolic Call of Jesus. Tonight we are discussing the apostolic call, the call to be an apostle. Jesus said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I love that. Actor Jim Caviezel, remember him? He played Jesus in Mel Gibson's The Passion. Jim Caviezel got the chance to meet John Paul II, and he was very nervous. And he said, finally, he walked into the room after waiting several minutes, and there he was, 100 yards away. And by the time I got to him, I was so out of breath. And he looked at me. How are you? Jim Caviezel, be not afraid. Do not be satisfied with mediocrity. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jim Caviezel, the Pope said to him. And John Paul II said, Jim Caviezel, what have you learned in playing Jesus Christ? And Pope John Paul was an actor. He loved acting. What have you learned from playing Jesus Christ? And here's the conversation. Caviezel said, well, Holy Father, I've been hanging out. And he says, well, I think Jesus was Italian. And he said, what? I said, well, he didn't leave home until he was 30. He always hung out with the same 12 guys. And his mother believed he was God. So he had to be Italian, you know? And Jim Caviezel said, you're not upset with me, are you, Holy Father? And he said, no, but I always believed Jesus was Polish. So he uses the line from Luke 5, first thing, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. From the time Jesus started preaching, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the first time he talked about kingdom in the gospel, Matthew 4. The king is on the throne, and the king is Jesus Christ. His kingdom's a little different than what the world had in mind. And under his kingship, and under his lordship, we will learn how to pray. He will teach us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not my kingdom come and my will be done because I'm on the throne because it's all about me. It's easy to put ourselves on the throne. But who is on the throne? Who is in the throne room of your heart? Who resides there? Who rules your life, every aspect? Whose reign are you under? Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. My way or your way? Your way, Lord God. God did not intend man for be a kingdom of one. He even models that for us. He is almighty God, but he's in three persons. He's a family. He's a trinity. 
He's three persons in one. It's not a kingdom of one. It's three persons in one. And he could have sent Jesus as an adult man, but he puts him into a family that models the Trinity. It's not a kingdom of one. It's self-sacrifice. It's love. It's back and forth. It's unity. God did not intend for man to be a kingdom of one. It's the Father's kingdom. Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, if you're willing, take this cup from me but not my will, but yours be done, Father. It's the Father's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. His dominion covers both earth and heaven, everything, all is his, infinity is his. And at the end of the Our Father at Mass, we pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory now and forever. This is a forever kingdom, a forever dominion, a forever dynasty, eternal. He's king over all, and his dominion is infinite. Unlike Israel's first kingdom under King Saul, unlike the second attempt with King David for Israel, or the third try with King Solomon, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. His will be a forever reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. He will totally fulfill 2 Samuel 7, predicted to David, the Lord, an eternal king from his line. The Lord says in that prophecy at the end, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed him before you. Your house and your kingdom will be forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, we also met last week King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon. He was a kingdom of one, initially, in scripture. Solomon's temple he destroyed in 587 under his order. And the Jews are exiled to Babylon way, 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 way far away. Their temple, the grand temple where the presence of God was, is plundered. And Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. And he dreamed that character. Remember, the, the statue, the head was gold, the chest was silver, the belly and thighs were bronze, the legs were iron, the feet were partially clay and iron. And Daniel had to interpret the dream. And he told them, King, you know, your, your kingdom's going to fall. And then silver's going to take over, then bronze, then iron. The Medes are coming, the Greeks, the Romans. He didn't know that, but he said, your kingdom's going to fall. But there was also a rock in this dream. And the rock was cut out of a mountain not made by human hands. And the rock broke the iron. The rock crushed the bronze. The rock broke the clay. The rock broke the silver and the gold to pieces. Great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This is an apocryphal book of Daniel. Who is the rock cut out of the mountain, not made by human hands? Who is the rock? Zechariah said the rock, the cornerstone, will come from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah said, see, I lay a stone in Zion, says the Lord, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Paul told the Ephesians that Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And Paul, again, will use the story of Moses in, in the Exodus, 40 years of wandering in the desert, no water for the people to drink. And the Lord told Moses to strike the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did strike the rock in the face of the elders of Israel. And Paul will later tell the Corinthians, hundreds of years later, 
that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the sure foundation. Jesus is the spiritual rock from which living water flowed in the desert at the time of Moses. The rock that is speared and water flows from him on the cross. Living water from his side in John's gospel. Living water springs from the rock and for the church that symbolizes the water of baptism. Water flows from the rock in the desert with the old Moses. Water flows from the rock of Jesus Christ on the cross, the new Moses. Jesus is my rock. Jesus is the rock. And he says, this rock, Jesus Christ says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Peter. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. His kingdom encompasses both heaven and earth. He changes Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. Peter is the first to know that he's a king. He says, Blessed are you, Peter says, you are, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you are the king, a king's anointed. Peter is the father's choice because Jesus says to Peter when he recognizes him first that you are the king, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. The father revealed it to Peter. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock, but he has been given authority from the Father to make Peter the rock on earth, and it's the Father who revealed it to Peter. So the Father really chose Peter, and it's his kingdom. Jesus is always obedient to the will of the Father. Peter, you don't know this on your own. My Father revealed that to you. How will this kingdom on earth be advanced? Jesus says in John's Gospel, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. What's that living water? Who's this living water? What is this living water? It's been there all along. It's been there since the garden. Remember back to Genesis, first book of the Bible. The water's there. There's a tree of life and there's a river of life that waters the tree of life. Who is the water? The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, says he showed me the river of the water of life. John is having an apocryphal vision. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of the Lamb of God through the middle of the street. This is the new Jerusalem, the street of the city. Also on either side of the tree of life, there's a river. The tree of life yields 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So the tree of life has fruit all the time, not just once a year, twice a year, all the time, every month of the year. The fruit is the bread of life. It's watered by the river of life. The river of life is the Holy Spirit. He was there all along. This is San Clemente in Rome, St. Clement's Church. God the Father, the hand of the Father creating, 
God the Son, Jesus Christ, the tree of life, smashing, his cross smashes a serpent, a snake, and a river flows out from the tree of life, and it goes to all four directions, north, south, east, and west. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the river of life. It's living water for the life of the world. It flows all the way out. There's the Lamb of God and 12 other lambs, the restored new tribe of Israel. It's all there all along. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from the first book of the Bible to the last, they're all there. This kingdom theme will repeat itself over and over and over again through scripture. A lot in Daniel, this apocryphal book, we'll go back to King Nebuchadnezzar II. He built a great dynasty, a wonderful kingdom. It was a kingdom of one. He was the king. He built one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Seven wonders of the world at the time. He was great. His kingdom was great. And Daniel says, this is what's going to happen to your kingdom. You're gold right now. You're Babylon. But silver, bronze, iron, and then a rock's going to crush all of you and be an eternal kingdom. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had an idea of what he could do then after he heard that interpretation. I will build a 90-foot statue of gold. It'll just be all gold. That'll be my kingdom will last forever. So he ordered a 90-foot statue built, 90-foot high and nine feet wide. He set it up on the plains of Babylon, and everyone had to bow down and worship. Well, there were three young Jewish exiles that would not do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way. They would not obey King Nebuchadnezzar's orders. They would not worship a false god. They would only worship the one true God of Israel. They would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, and he was furious absolutely furious. And they said, we don't care if you're furious. We don't care if you kill us. God will save us. And if he doesn't, we don't care. We'll die for him. He was even madder. He stoked the fire seven times hotter than normal and threw these three young boys into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound and thrown into this fiery furnace seven times hotter than normal. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there, weren't there just three men in there that we tied up? that we threw into the fire? He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of God, a son of one of the gods. What's going on? So he had them pulled from the fire. They were not harmed. Their bodies, not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Who is this fourth person that looks like a son of God? Someone is coming in the future. This is an apocryphal book, a rock not hewn with human hands, a rock that will crush the other kingdoms of the world, one that is like a son of God, one who is the son of God, one who is indestructible, one whose dominion is infinite and eternal, will never end. And Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. How will the people enter into this kingdom of heaven? How do we enter into the kingdom? What's the admission? What do we do? Baptism. Baptism. Right. Good. John was baptizing, but he was baptizing a baptism of repentance, of forgiveness, of sins. Now, repentance always opens the heart. Anytime we humble ourselves in repentance, our heart is open to a new kingdom, open to a new king. Repentance humbles us. So that was good. That was a good baptism, John. He's preparing the way for the king. I'll baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
How will people be baptized? Through the church that he, the rock, established on earth. Water from his side will symbolize baptism. Blood flowing from his side will symbolize the Eucharist. These are two sacraments in our church that were established by Jesus Christ through a one flesh bride union with the church, his bride. This was set up before the beginning of time. This is part of God's plan. I will baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But it won't be until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. They will have to wait. Even though Jesus is there, they have to wait. Because he will be the final sacrifice first. He will conquer death. He will rise from the dead. But he won't leave them orphans because then the Holy Spirit will come. And the church will begin baptizing those who ask who come seeking to be baptized, who ask to be baptized. In Acts, before Jesus is ascended to heaven, Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Jesus, all this time, is instructing the apostles that he had chosen. Can you imagine sitting in on his teaching? After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. For 40 days, he's, and he, what did he speak about? He spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, he teaches them one-on-one. -on, -one. on one occasion, he was eating with them, and he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift of my Father that he promised, that you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He had told Nicodemus this in John 3, no one can be born again. No one can enter the kingdom, the kingdom of God, unless he's born of water and the Spirit. So the apostles want to know now, before he, he's teaching them these 40 days, oh, Lord, when are you going to do this? When are you going to restore the kingdom? They're still waiting for the kingdom of Israel to be restored in a military takeover. Something, some, and he says, this is not for you to know. This is my father has set this date by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So he's going to go. He's leaving. So they wait and pray. They wait and pray. They all join together constantly in prayer, Scripture tells us, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all his brothers. And the church is conceived on Pentecost Sunday. And there are only two times in Scripture when Mary is overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is at the conception of Jesus Christ, and it is at the conception of his church. The conception of the rock, not made by human hands. The conception of the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. The conception of the King of kings and Lord of lords whose kingdom has no end. The conception of the high priest who offers the final sacrifice and is the high priest that offers it. The conception of the prophet, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, one who speaks the truth because he is the truth. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. The conception of the bridegroom whose one flesh bride will be the church. And he will build the church on Peter the rock. This is quite a conception. This is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Yeshua, God saves. God saves through Jesus, through his church that he, Jesus, established. And Jesus is present in each and every sacrament that the church wants to lavish on us. These gifts from the Father that the church wants to lavish on us, its children.
Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah. We eat him. That's pretty personal. We eat him. What if the president dies? What if the president of the United States dies? We have a plan, right? Don't worry. Joe Biden will take over. Don't worry. He's Catholic. Don't worry. What if a CEO of a company retires? Don't worry. We have an exit strategy. When the CEO steps down, we've got that in place. We've got that covered. Don't worry. Jesus has an exit strategy. He knows he's going back to the Father. He knows he won't be here forever, so he builds a kingdom on earth, and he gives right-hand man, his albiet, Peter, the keys to the kingdom, and Peter becomes a rock. He says to the 11, there's 11 of them around him. This isn't the whole world around him. This is 11 men that he has chosen by authority of the Father, that the Father has bestowed on him in union, in praying with the Father. And he takes 11 and he goes to a mountain and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's apostolic teaching. That's apostolic authority handed from Jesus Christ himself to Peter. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And we are in this end age. This is the age of the Holy Spirit. And we are lucky to be alive now at this time in the church. And when he appeared in John 20, it was behind locked doors. It was to a small group of disciples. It wasn't to the whole world. It was just to these men he had chosen by name, by the Father's authority vested on him. And they were locked together. It was after the crucifixion for fear of the Jews. He comes through walls, through doors, like he came through Mary's womb. Didn't hurt anything, didn't break anything. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, he breathed on them. This is a private Pentecost for the apostles. He breathes on them. And he says to them, not to everybody, he says to them, he's going to give them the power to forgive sins. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And he's giving it to these men. This is a new priesthood. And he tells them, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They can loose and bind. After his ascension, they wait in the upper room. They are constantly in prayer. They are devoting themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. That's apostolic authority. That's apostolic teaching from Christ. And they spent the 40 days with him. They spent three years with him, learning from him, from the mouth of God, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then on Pentecost morning, they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are baptized into the Father, and into the Son, and into this new Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 are baptized that day when Peter steps forward. Why Peter? Why is he going to talk all the time? Because he's the rock. God said, you are the rock. And he steps forward every time and does the speaking. But he listens to the others. He listens. He takes it all in. Then he stands and he addresses the crowd like he did at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. He baptizes, they baptized 3,000 that day. How many were killed? when the Levitical priesthood was established after the exodus of the golden calf in Exodus 32, after the um, apostasy of the golden calf, excuse me, how many were killed? The Levites went through the camp and killed 3,000 that day under Moses, under the Lord's orders. 3,000 were in apostasy of the living God. 
But in this new priesthood, Peter will baptize 3,000. 3,000 are born again. This is a new priesthood. Full of the Holy Spirit, Peter steps forward in this new priesthood. Not Levitical, but Melchizedekian. That's all in the book of Hebrews. This is a new Israel. This is a new church. This is a universal church for all, not just Israel, for every single person. Like God told Abraham, this will be for all the descendants of the world. It's a worldwide blessing. It's for all. But he came through Israel. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day people came to them for baptism. The apostles were called to a new priesthood. Now let's look at the call specifically in Matthew's gospel first. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hmm. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat. They were with their father Zebedee, and they were mending nets. He called them, and immediately, immediately, they left their boat, and they left their father, and they followed him. Now, I love Luke's account, and let's compare it. Luke, there's a big crowd around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is preaching. Jesus wants to preach and teach the crowd. While the crowd's pressing in on Jesus, and he's listening to, they're listening to the word of God, and he's standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is Galilee. He saw two boats alongside the lake. There were fishermen disembarking, washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asks him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat, sitting on that improvised seat in Peter's boat, Jesus begins to teach. Rabbis sit down to teach. And he's teaching from the boat. So the boat of Peter becomes the chair of Jesus, where he will speak forth, where he will teach. Benedict notes that. Later in history, Peter will get his own chair. And we celebrate the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter on February 22nd. This feast brings to mind the mission of teacher and pastor conferred by Christ on Peter and continued in an unbroken line down to the present Pope. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. I love that. Simon said in reply, Master, we've worked hard all night. I've, we've caught nothing, but at your command, I will lower the nets. Do you know how much work this is? When they had to clean the nets by kosher law. They had to separate fish with no scales. That couldn't be kosher and compared to fish that had scales. They had just done all that. They had cleaned the nets according to kosher law. They had put everything away. They had wound them up. This takes a long time. They didn't have a very good catch that night either. So Jesus, a skilled carpenter, is telling skilled professional fishermen, go back out, undo all the nets again, and, and go cast into the deep in the day. They're not biting right now. It's too hot. He doesn't know anything about fishing. Yet Simon humbles himself. This fisherman trusted this rabbi who did not give him answers but required him to trust. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. Their nets were ripping. They were tearing. Remember that. Their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came 
and filled both boats that were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of the Lord, and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me. Go away. Depart from me. Does Jesus depart? Jesus can handle sin. Jesus can handle sin. He does not depart from us. Sin does not scare Jesus away. Thank God. Because he came, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost, and we're all lost. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Repentance opens up the door to the heart. So this act of humility opens Peter's heart even more to recognize who is before him. Repentance opens our heart to Jesus. Adam and Eve sin, and they run and hide. They run and hide. First thing they did, they go hide from the Lord. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. They hide among the trees in the garden, but God doesn't hide. God comes looking for them. Adam, where are you? Adam, does the God of the universe not know where he is? I was afraid, so I hid. Sin separates us from God. We leave God. God never leaves us. God does not depart from us. He will not leave us. Oh, yes, friends, we are lucky to be alive now at this time in the church. We were born again, born from above for such a time as this. We are each called by name to be a Christ follower, to lay down the things of this world so that we can pick up our crosses daily, pick up his cross with ours daily and follow him. We are called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the root word of disciple is discipline. Let's discipline our lives in this pursuit, friends. When we seek truth, we seek Jesus. If we seek Him, we will find Him. We can know Him through His Word. Then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Until next time, keep seeking truth. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting, of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.